Welcome to the East-West Psychology Podcast, the forum for the exploration of psyche and spirit. Join our hosts, Jonathan Kay and Stefan Julich, and their guests as they delve into the intersection of psychology, philosophy, world wisdom traditions, the arts, and more. This episode features Sylvia Nakaj, a Grammy-nominated musician and cross-cultural explorer of musical worlds. Sylvia will enchant you as she shares her journey searching for the cosmic source of sound from her home in Brazil to the Bay Area where she learned North Indian raga music under maestro Ali Akbar Khan for more than 30 years, as well as experimental and electronic music while at Mills College with Pauline Oliveras and Anthony Braxton. We will discuss the integrative power of the mystical sound syllable Om and how she has cultivated the yoga of sound Nad Yoga and Drupad Chant as a form of deep listening and enhancing the sensibility of the subtle through sound. For many years, Sylvia taught at CIIS, founding the certificate program Sound, Voice and Music in the Healing Arts that she is now currently facilitating through the New York Open Center. She is an academic program consultant and the founder and artistic director of the International Vox Mundi School of Sound and the Voice, with centers and training programs across the world. In this conversation, recorded on April 5th of 2020, she shares ideas about how she has been developing an original and integral framework through the practice of ancient and modern voice cultures she calls quantum listening. This episode was recorded before the EWP podcast became tech savvy, and we apologize for some of the problems we had during the recording. This episode also features music of Sylvia's, and you can get the full link in the episode description box below. Welcome to the EWP podcast. I'm here with Stefan Julich. How are you doing today, Stefan? Hi, Jonathan. Well, thank you. And we are so honored to be speaking today with Sylvia Nakash. And uh, we'll be speaking about music and spirituality and healing. And uh, we can't wait to get into into this discussion. So welcome to the, the podcast, Sylvia. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have so many things to talk and in common. And these days we are just more appreciative of everything. So the, the topic or the title of this podcast, I thought was something that came up in our conversation a couple of weeks ago, the art of integration or possibly the sound of integration. So Sylvia, do you want to just, uh, maybe you can just start and talk a little bit about what that means to you and, and sort of maybe give a, a bigger picture of, of how, how that kind of title came up um, based on our last conversation and, and where we can expect to go in this conversation. The first thing that comes to me uh, without thinking too much is the sit syllable OM because it's in a way is many things, but it's also uh, a, 
we always say that the syllable om is a, is a primordial sound and also uh, an aid of to meditation for meditation uh, it's the from everything starts and all the sounds starts and all the sounds uh, return to the om and also the om is the a way of completeness in sound and integration um, I have something written about it it's 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 a, it's a sense of completeness the sense of everything is is like uh, together naturally without the ideas of fusion or trying to put things together <laughs> so it, it, from the beginning perfect this the seed syllable om so it's a symbol of integration um and i think that we were we were talking and we are talking that uh as part of the community of the california integral studies the beautiful thing about the school is that it's is based on integral yoga and uh, so the first thing that comes to me when we say the sound of integration is the sound of om om beautiful i love that symbol of integration a sonic mm -hmm. seed symbol of integration mm -hmm. well and om being a from the indian tradition and so why don't we why don't we start, and if I could ask you about how you became um, involved in music and how you first came to the United States, and give us a little bit of background of um, your musical journey, um, how you ended up uh, learning Indian classical music, and that might take us to the time of when you started at CIAS. So the syllable OM has been interpreted, uh, interpret, interpreted as the eternal syllable that contains in itself the entire phenomenal universe. Imagine the school being also that, right? And as a nucleus from which all audible sounds proceed and to which all such sounds much, must ultimately return. The utterance of the, the sacred syllable is then at once, an invocation to the gods, a salutation to the structure of the creative universe, an aid to meditation, a protection against error, a hymn of praise to life, to all its forms and manifestations, and a symbol of integration and completeness. So that was the ethnomusicologist Louis Rowell. And my, my, my first and forever also Drupad teacher, uh, Dr. Ritwit Sanyal from Varanasi. Well, he's hmm. from but he lives in Varanasi. So they wrote a book on uh, Nada Yoga or, and Drupad and... Um, this this particular piece is on my book. So I thought it was very interesting uh, because people use so much, everybody uses OM. The Shivananda community 
they say hi instead of saying hi they say om 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 so it's the way that we say hey hi they say om 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 but yeah it's the sound of integration it's the sound of putting things together uh naturally and naturally uh i arrived in the usa in february 1982 directly from the airport to the ali akbar khan school I was emigrating from South America, but it took me a long trip from uh, Brazil to uh, uh, New York and then from New York to San Francisco. But then I went and I, I parked my car at the garage of the Ali Akbar Khan School and voila, the teacher was coming up the stairs by absolute synchronicity and I say oh uh, I uh, would like to come and study here you can stay at the school that was it <laughs> wow it starts with such a beautiful blessing like that supposed to be I start working at the school helping helping also uh, in his house with the children the children were still coming so everything was home for me at the school. George Rocker was teaching there, which was wonderful. He was a director. So we have uh, integration sessions, you know, in the morning that were more like theory, which I love. The theory of Raga is something I miss. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I had to teach that because uh, officially uh, the great masters, uh, the, the way that you learn is supposed to be oral tradition. So, uh, although there's a lot written about Raga, but um, but we didn't study Raga at the school. We have to go, you know, read books about it. About the history and... Yes. Yeah, so I yeah. entered through Marine County, which is pretty nice. Uh, then uh, a, a wonderful legendary master, another great legendary master, Claudio Naranjo, offered me to live in one of his houses in Berkeley. And then be, I became part of his institute, the SAT Institute. And I don't know, I started helping people in different ways because uh, that's the way I, I, I like to do my work. I started making uh, music with uh, uh, different people and different, I met different musicians. And then I went to Mills College. Before that, in New York, I met uh, Pauline Oliveros, which opened every possibility of listening for me. And now I am integrating, you know, deep listening with uh, Hindustani music and uh, uh, not, not yoga. And I think, and I, this is my inquiry to you guys, it's all yoga. That's beautiful. I, yeah, I completely, completely agree. And uh, my life has been lived along similar lines of uh, sort of cross-cultural inquiry, different types of music, different ways of uh, being with music and and eventually settling upon the idea that that, that yoga is, can be music. <laughs> so maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about what attracted you to Indian music, because you're from an extremely rich heritage 
in Brazil of, of musical cultures. Um, and you also came to USA and uh, searching out musicians like Don Cherry, you had said, who was an improviser. And uh, um, so, you know, with that kind of a background, how did how did raga music and North Indian music, um, what did it offer you and what kind of, what kind of answers or solutions did it provide for you in your journey? And I am extremely interested in the science, the, 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 the studies and the extended possibility of consciousness. So I, I, uh, uh, my background is in clinical psychology and philosophy, etc. And I went to schools, and I, my whole life, I, I lived, uh, you know, inside universities <laughs> and schools. So, what happened is that uh, I was traveling as a musician with a group of other musicians the, uh, a little bit before I came. Uh, I was with Oregon. I don't know if you ever remember the group Oregon. Mm, so, of course, yeah. Yeah, Ralph Towner and Colin Walcott at this point, he was alive and well. And um, it was an incredible group of people. And we were traveling in the, uh, upstate New York, and Colin was, was kind of taking care of me. And he said, uh, oh, you have to, your voice, your voice, you have to meet Ali Akbar Khan. And then uh, if, at the same time, a friend of mine gave me a cassette to listen of the Dagar brothers. And I, it, it, that just threw me apart. I mean, when I heard the Bhairab by the Dagar brother, the, the, old, the, the elders, Dagar brother, I start crying and crying and crying. I couldn't stop crying. And I say, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I've been very solid about it because I do all the other things that I like, thanks God. But I really want to master the art of Drupad singing. So this is, I don't know if in this lifetime or not, because it's like yoga, you... I've been also a yogini in the, in, you know, I've been practicing yoga all my life, the physical yoga, whatever they call it now. But the point is, I have the passion for this particular for art form or vocal art form. Some of them like to call it vocal culture. Some of them don't like to call it vocal culture. But I mean, it's, I prefer to call it vocal art that extends consciousness by allowing yourself to listen to the space in between the notes. And when I was a psychotherapist, I was Freudian, by the way, I was Lacanian. <laughs> and I was always listening in between the discourse, you know, the narrative of my, my, my patients. I was never listening to what they were saying. And maybe, Stefan, you can say something about that because I was in I was completely into the Lacan uh, uh, kind of listening and I don't find it I find an integration because that poetic form of listening to a, 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 you know a patient or a client and the way I listen to the notes in between. I don't know much about Lacan. I'm not a Lacanian, but I have been was thinking today 
um, I was actually reading about scrying. Do you know what scrying is when you take a, like a crystal ball or an obsidian bowl and you gaze into it, you can, they can be filled with water and it's used for, you know, for often for prognosticating, uh, but often for kind of looking inside yourself. And it's essentially you're looking for an image that comes up. You, you'll see something kind of rise in the darkness or in the crystal. And I, 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 began to think about how I enter into even these conversations. And I usually kind of, I usually sit and listen for a while before I feel like I can enter because I'm waiting for something to rise up and it's not, has nothing to do with what's being said necessarily. It's like an image that will come and it has to do with, I mean, yeah, the words are important. The emotion is important. Listening to the voices, you know, you, you have such a beautiful voice. So I'm listening to the music of the way that you're speaking and something begins to rise in me that wants to be said. So I think maybe that there's some similarity to what you're saying in that. Yeah, because in the music that I am um, practicing now, which is this uh, Drupad style, um, the notes are 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 held, you know, sustained in a way that the only way that you can be there in the music is if you are present and completely involved, and there's no other possibility but being in music and sound. Mm -hmm. There's no writing. There's no reading. And um, and there you can have uh, you start having images when you connect the notes and enters in the dimension that uh, uh, Jonathan renders so beautifully uh, with his instruments, which is the phraseology, the phrases that you create. I call for when I teach. To my students, I say, give me a flower. You know, I feel like we are throwing flowers, like phrases of music becomes flowers. You know, well, that flower can be more open, you know. So I have images too, because, because again, it's an, it's, it's an art, uh, when, when art is, is, is vibrating in us, uh, there is a sense of integration between all our senses. Yeah, that's a beautiful theme, keeping the integration aspect and how it, through the practice of music, you're completely right, is that we are, we are engaged with all of our senses. And it's almost like sometimes I feel raga music, specifically this idea of like sort of the, the you know, you plant the seed of the raga, the first couple of phrases, and it starts to it starts to grow, it starts to flower, and, and sometimes I feel like I'm observing the flower grow, and at other times I feel like I'm becoming the flower, you know, nice. uh, and I become part of the flower, and it's uh, it's it seems as though that single pointed, you know, kind of identification that you're speaking about, it's it's it seems necessary here. Um, maybe that is a bridge. I'd like to know a little bit more about deep listening and uh, what you learned and from Pauline Oliveros and how you, you have kept that a part of your practice before we come back to a little bit more about the Raga and the music uh, of India's side. 
Yeah, I think when we are together, we are always <laughs> tending to that, that very, maybe because it's, uh, the raga is, is so alive all the time. Raga music, raga sangeet, raga music is so alive, it's so, so filled of possibilities and, um, and imagination, you know, so that's why the, the, I, I never get tired of talking about raga or doing the ragas or trying to render them. So deep listening is uh, something that, uh, again, it's almost, it's a, it's a very yogic uh, practice. It's, a, it's an evolving practice where uh, basically we hear to something because we have ears and the only thing that we, that something becomes uh a sound is when there is someone that is listening, right? So we, but then there is this this kind of discernment, um, appreciation between hearing everything because we have ears and it's our primary sense of organ, and listening is something that we cultivate. Listening has to be, and especially deep listening has to be with directing our attention to what we want or we, to hear. So it requires, like John Cage will say, it requires to make a decision. Consciously or not, you direct your attention to, to, to really listen what, what you were hearing. So listening is what, in a way, uh, evolves, creates culture, evolves with our way to um, listening to the world, to pay attention, to be aware, and to be present. And uh, it, specifically, Pauline Oliveros, uh, she was talking about two ways of deep listening. Uh, one was uh, discrete attention when you decide I am listening to this particular way that you are silent. And then the other way was global or panoramic attention, which is quite important now these days, which is quantum listening. I'm listening to everything without judgment. Imagine that. It's almost like the world becomes a compassionate heart. <laughs> so yeah. I'm listening to everything without judgment. And then suddenly I decide to drive consciously my attention to this particular way that Stefan is listening. Hmm. You know? Hmm. So it's like, it's like, be, we become drivers of attention when we listen, and listening creates everything we 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 are. We want uh, listening can be applied also to uh, other senses in a way. Uh, Pauline used to say, "Listen with your eyes." She would say, mm. "You know, listen with your eyes." And, and express with your heart. So uh, it's it's deep. It's a, it's it's a deeper way of this. It's, it's I call it 
after so many years of working with this particular practice of deep listening, the art of discernment. Nice. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, Buddhist philosophy has something similar, you know, a way of discerning, you know, something, discerning a reality to a point of finding many realities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure, in the yogic path, like Viveka. It's like discernment, being able to see a, of like see all of the streams and decide which one is is going to best serve your your goal of becoming your yogic path. Exactly. Yeah. And so, in terms of deep listening, being like this idea of a quantum listening, listening to everything at once in as like a observer. Indian music would it almost invert that in the sense of it it gives you the center of a circle, which would be the Tanpura. And so in a different, it's a sort of a different kind of focusing, but at the same time, the center of the circle contains the whole, you know, so it's, it's, it's a different kind of decision, maybe. Beautiful. Hmm. I call it the, I, I call the Tambura just because, you know, I work with all kinds of levels of listeners. Mm -hmm. I call it the, the yoga mat. Right, right. And even um, just, I was just going to say, like lying in Shavasana, lying on the mat as an act of yogic mm. posture is like singing sa, mm. something that will just endlessly be pr pr productive and helpful and, and, and deepening, you know. Yeah. That's a great, great analogy. Ali Akbar Khan used to call the sound of the tambura, I don't know, he, he would invent things because he was an extraordinary composer and creator. So the late Ali Akbar Khan Kansa would say that that is Ash, the breath of God. Hmm. Listen to the breath of God. You are not listening enough to the breath of God. He was, you know, he was so passionate. He was like a lion, right? Listening. You're not listening to the breath of God, you know. <laughs> and um with, with tremendous love, which is something that I, I, I think maybe this is coming right now on me like a download. What it means to deep listening with love. A, qu a question has to be done <laughs> in true music for me. <laughs> Stefan, do you have any uh, anything to say along those lines? I don't know. A few things came came to mind. First off, the the tam, the tampura for me, and you know, with my limited experience, it it sound always sounds to me like all sounds are in that sound. So it's just the that's why it's the foundation because anything can arise from it. All sounds can arise from it. And something that you said about Sylvia about seeing sound or following sound with your eyes. I studied briefly with a, a painter. His name was Sam Feinstein. Um, he was a student of Hans Hoffmann, the great abstract expressionist. And Sam had in his basement, where he in his house where he taught, piles of stuff. I mean, he would just throw things into this pile. He was very much aware of where he was placing things, but you couldn't, as a, as a student, I never knew what what he was doing. It was just this mass of shapes and colors, and he would point you towards it, and he would. The first time I went there, he said, start painting. And I was trying to paint objects. And he said, no, that's not it. He wouldn't tell me what, but he said, that's, it's too stiff, too stiff. Paint, keep painting. He finally, at, by the, this, the end of the first day that I was there, he had me painting with my fingers. 
because I couldn't, because I was used to doing such fine detailed work. And then he gave me a clue. He said, just follow the color. So in every, in, in these piles, there would, there, you could trace colors, you know, like, like from here to here to here. So you could follow the yellows and then you could follow the oranges. And I'm, as I was listening to you speak and Sam came back into my mind, I'm noticing just in the three images that are in front of me on the screen, I, that I can see f colors. I can see lines of colors. I can see fields of colors. And as you're talking, I'm realizing that if I'm in the red, it has a particular feeling to me. If I'm in the gold, it has a particular feeling to me. So I think, and, and then I thought, if you'll forgive me, because I know we're interviewing you, Sylvia, but I, that my experience of sitting with you, the times that I've sat with you when you've been teaching, Drupad, you know, that there's this wonderful way in which there's a, this kind of tentative moving out from the center. And then you ask us to give that back to you. And then you move out a little bit further and then we give that to you. And before long, you're, you're just kind of releasing these beautiful lines of color and, and, and we're able, the student, through the experience of presence and listening to actually repeat those very intricate lines. And very much like you said earlier, they're like flowers, each, each one of those vocal lines that you share is like a flower so we're passing this flower back and forth. Mm. So all of that kind of came to me while I was while I was listening. Wonderful. One of the definitions of, of raga is that which colors the mind with an emotion. Hmm. So, you know, it's like, uh, well, Ralph Metzner would say it's like mercury in a way, you know, that can be any color. It can change. It's very al alchemical, hmm. the, the experience of a raga, because the colors can change but without some kind of organization, it's, there's a sacred order almost in how you change. But what I wanted to say is that then comes the, the other aspect of the system, uh, which is the ras, the rasa, you know, the taste, the savoir, 
which also is like they say the rasa is like the, the perfume of a flower is there. You don't see the flower sometimes, but because of the perfume, you recognize which flower it is, right? So, and this all this makes me remember something that Kansavalya uh, Parkan told me, you make it simple. And he will, he will he, every time he will see me, which would be for 30 years I've been seeing him, he kept saying, are you teaching? Are you teaching? Yes, 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 Baba. Yes, yes, yes. Are you teaching? What are you teaching? You know, make it simple like that. And I think what that was the blessing. It's like, you know, when, when the Lama's integration, when the Lama just hit your head, your forehead, you know, and part of those blessings, I think I, I make it simple without even knowing. You know, it's very interesting because I am, we are just going into a journey. Right. And, and we know the home. I mean, we know where we're starting. I think that's really important and for me, this idea of the sa or the, the generating tone, the tonic. Um, you know, I learned jazz music before coming and learning Indian classical music. And there's a strong sense of tonality in jazz and, and Western classical music. But in terms of really having a, a discipline of, of becoming the sa, the Indian music be was that for me. I think it's built right into it. It's like you become the home of the music, and mm -hmm. it's a lot. It's it, you always feel that you're you're coming from somewhere, going to somewhere, you know. And I think that's it's a. As I learned about yoga, to me, it was always a matter of that was the sort of the the soul essence or the 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 psychic being or the sense of the self in which things are integrated around the sa, you know. And it, 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 it's a very, um, in terms of integration, it's a center of, 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 of empowerment in terms of connecting things and bringing things into resonance and harmony. And to me, I, I feel that is a saw and that's really affected my life. It's, it's, uh, there's, a, there's in, 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 uh, in great music, not just, not just Hindustani or, 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 or South Indian music, Carnatic music, in all great music, I think there is a cosmic order. Hmm. Because I have the same feeling and I cry because, well, another thing I learned from Alia Parkan was, if you don't cry, it's not good music. <laughs> He would say that, you know, you have to cry. And but anyway, what I was thinking in terms of 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 um, the cosmic aspect of a great music, I was and I am completely uh, into new music. Uh, electronic music. I went to Mills College and was an extraordinary education that I had there. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't, didn't want to get out of that school, <laughs> you know, I, thanks God I could teach there and I was doing, I was doing all kinds of things as a teacher assistant of Pauline and then Anthony Braxton was there and it was my, it was such an extraordinary experience of a school that you can stay in, in the camp, in campus until 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and sit outside your, your studio and 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 listen to the nature because they had all kinds of sounds outside you know and make make art in from the field because you know the, the it's a big school it's a big space but 
It, during the time that I was at Mills, I uh, was studying uh, electronic music, and I was writing operas, combining electronic music with uh, acoustic instruments. And my 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 idea of saving the world at that point was saving the Amazon, probably at this point too. But there's something about uh, the cosmic aspect of electronic sounds when it's there, like uh, the music of Ed Edgar Varese, for example, you know, or the music of Anthony Braxton. It's all based on on um, measurements and galactic measurements and the space that mu that that of the music for example of a Mahler symphony when all the human aspect of the symphony gets dissolved you know laia gets dissolved and then suddenly comes the 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 other reality the alternative reality behind the symphony you know the 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 rasa the the transpersonal emotion so i think that the the cosmic there's a way of listening that i like to call it here and now for first time cosmic listening that we are going in that direction now, that we are listening with this, this, this sense of a space that is connected, that's very organized, like the galaxies, but at the same time, there's places uh, that, that still can be um, discovered and uncovered, like the black holes. Um, cosmology is, 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 I think, is part of the way we listen to great music or the way that we make or, or write good music. There is a sense of I'm not here, I'm part of this, this greater reality. So um, we are integrating, um, I mean, I'm integrating that aspect more and more in the music, you know, feeling that I am putting making each melody, uh, I'm, I'm connecting the melodies like I'm connecting the stars when I look at night. So um, maybe what I'm trying to say is the music become more and more powerful as a healing um, or a transformative enchantment when the musician is not there. Right. It's, 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 uh, it unites with us, with the cosmic and the, co it, and, you know, reciprocally, it brings the cosmic into the individual. The individual becomes cosmic and the cosmic can, mm -hmm. you know, it, it can be seen and felt through individuals. That's, that's beautiful. Um, and bringing up uh, healing and music. Uh, I think, I mean, this is how you ended up teaching at CIS. I'd like to maybe get now to your involvement with CIS um, and the the program that you started, Sound, Voice, Music, and Healing. Can you give us a little bit of background about how that came to be and and some of the main um, goals and principles that you you 
design that program around? Well, I start uh, teaching at CIIS. I uh, since I am organizing my studio to to rent it or to keep it. Still not know. I I found a lot of files and been doing the things. <laughs> so uh, I start teaching at CIIS at in in the year two thousand with Ralph. You know, as a visiting artist or or. Uh, or adjunct professor or whatever uh, uh, faculty uh, with Ralph Metzner and Stephen Goodman. And then uh, Arisika invited me to be part of the of her integrative he, uh, health project. But we were always doing workshops with Ralph Metzner on, um, uh, we will call in, I think it was something uh, alchemical chanting or something like that. <laughs> And um, and then uh, the workshop had a lot of people. So uh, Robert McDermott came, and you know we were we were neighbors, and and he said, "This is supposed to be something longer. You you are supposed to be a certificate, like just drop like that, because he was listening next door or something. We were on Mina. Remember Mina?" My class, I put it at Mina because we have too many people. It was a great and then uh, the the then that's where everything started. I presented a project in two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, Janice Pel Pelps helped me to do all the the thinking uh, because we are very close friends and. Then uh, Joe Subiondo loved the project, and uh, and then it became a certificate. So uh, I brought to, again. I integrate all different aspects of uh, the effective quality of sound, the effective quality of music. You know the difference between effective and effective. Uh, then I because my I travel so much around the world, and I know many people. <laughs> and thanks God, I know great masters. I always been around great masters. That was part of uh, something that I never thought I would be so lucky. So we invited, as Stefan knows, amazing masters of each field. You know, the you know acoustology uh, tuning forks i can remember philosophy jim ryan was teaching sanskrit um uh, i don't remember now but uh pat cook was teaching the shamanic experience of cross-cultural music i was teaching the ragas and integrating everything on tuesdays um we have Isaiah Barbwell doing the African-American, and I was, we have Tenzing Wangyal Rinpoche and Am Rinpoche. We have all these different currents of vibrational cultures. Um, so the, the students were exposed to uh, different cultures of listening and how to implement that for the good, you know, the, the well-being of all sentient beings. We have students working at the uh, at the BART station. We have students working in different places just to 
to do their practicum and um, different instrumentations. Uh, it was it was quite extraordinary. Uh, a friend of mine called that program a miracle. I never forgot. <laughs> and like a miracle, it disappeared. <laughs> I have the same program almost at the Open Center in New York now for the past 13 years. So, but uh, the program at CIIS, it was nice because also because we meet on Tuesdays and I had the honor of having, uh, you know, Roche and and Stefan being our assistant sometimes and being there all the time and incredible people that, that were assisting us uh, coming to every class. It became, for a while, it became a master part of the masters of integrative health for a few years became like a part of uh, like a concentration on sound healing and then maybe five years ago or so so the program lasted for 13 years or so and then sound healing started becoming a trend Okay, I buy a ball and I become a sound healer or right, right, right. put the ball in your head and bang it, you know. And <laughs> and I thought that that's not what we were we were teaching like Stephen. Yeah, I, people take they, they look they look at the hole and they say, I can take that piece out of it and make some money and it becomes they commodify <laughs> it. Yeah. And it's not the same. Um Roche and I um for people who are maybe listening to this podcast, if we haven't spoken about her before, Roche is my partner, my wife. Actually. But um, we went to one of these sound baths. We thought, <laughs> oh, maybe this is going to be interesting. We had no idea whether they, the people who were running it were students of yours or anything. And it was interesting, but it was nothing like the experience that we had just week to week coming to your class. Um, and not to, not to slam it, because I think that the people who do do this, um, you know, I'm facetiously saying, yeah, people make money. I'm sure that they're they're doing it for, for good reasons. And the, the people who go there are also really getting something out of it. I think that having been at the source, <laughs> there's, there's there was a difference, a really palpable difference being in your class week after week and having these extraordinary people come to teach us this you know these powerful ways of of um interfacing with the world through sound and and using it for healing and healing isn't i mean yes lying down and listening to somebody playing bowls is extraordinary healing can be extraordinarily healing but there's so much more there's so much more that's true uh, I, I, I didn't mean to put people down in terms of whoever is doing it. I just thought that we didn't we didn't get to that point of that you have to buy an instrument to 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 bring the, the healing power of sound. Mm -hmm. You know, that that basically is like um of course, I mean people are loving this sound immersions and things like that. Um, I work with a lot of people that are doing that. Actually, a lot of my students are practicing that, and I don't think they make any money. But the point, I mean, it's not to make the money, but the, what happened is sound is an incredible experience. It's a life force. Mm 
sound is 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 like uh, I one of my students that was very intelligent. He said he said I never forgot. It was in the first cohort. He said sound is the more it's the most intuitive form of psychology. He was a psychologist. It's the most intuitive form of psychology. Sound can change you immediately. It's true. I mean, from from if you if if I threw my bottle, those those bottles that we use now, which are made of some kind of metal, if I threw it on the floor, uh, that sound. This is very nice if I touch it, but if I threw it on the floor, it becomes a noise, and it's pretty bad sound, but it's the same instrument. So what I'm trying to say is sound is beyond the instrument. And that's the piece that I like to refine. And I am, you know, the idea that the sound itself is God. Well, we, we know that. Sound is God. So it's not just the, it's, it's the instrument, but, but the sound is part of of what we breathe is prana in a way, you know, we bring attention to breath, you know, becomes sound and we can enhance our our vitality just by, by conscious breathing. Like all meditations, all, all cultures of meditations start with conscious breathing. And that is when I would say, uh, Stefan, that what I understand as a psychotherapist, as a former psychotherapist and a person always interested in transformation of consciousness, that the highest level of what we call healing is meditation. I don't think nothing can win over, me over meditation. You know, that space of, of fertile or, or nurturing or pregnant silence where you are completely you don't need anything else, right? So then you cannot have a problem in that state of meditation. <laughs> so I think that's where sound, so if, you, if, you, if sound brings you into in what we call in sound, in sound therapies, the relaxation response, sound can immediately trigger the relaxation response, the sound of the balls. Tibetan balls especially. Those balls, Tibetan balls, are connected to a lineage. So they are they are very powerful in itself because they come from when they made them in general, they made it with a specific uh, kind of material that will be good for your your hearing. So then 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 when when we put them together and render a harmonious vibrational feast to people it's really nice and this maybe could be the something that we should bring into the attention to this wonderful conversation how long is being rendered in that way my whole point in life now is it's it's tempo <laughs> pace how long even a beautiful sound if you listen it for too long it might it might just, just don't just, just no more listening or too short it's not enough time to get into so i think 
that's another piece of information that we bring into the field of sound in healing or music in healing. How long the duration of something that you are rendered musically or even conversationally. It's part of the skillful means. Mm, exactly. And that requires listening, right? It requires deep listening to know when it's time to stop and mm-hmm. when when you can continue. I remember it was John Billy who said he encountered God the first time that he went into one of these chambers where the sound is, you can't hear and anything. And coin chamber. And he played uh, um, a tuning fork. And it was something in the decay of the sound, you know, the, the sound is hit, and then there's this long attenuation. And something about what you were just saying reminded me of that, that it's that attenuation of the sound is that finger that's kind of pointing towards God. It's the one that's, le- it's what's leading you towards it, and it ends in the silence. But the mm-hmm. silence is pregnant, it's still filled with that sound. Yes, yes. Ahaha. This is a tiny one. They're called the celestial tuning forks. So you were saying something, Jonathan? Uh, I was just going to say, and the cymatics would show us how this this sound has uh, a shape. Like there's, you know, we're talking about our other senses, the taste, the rasa, uh, um, the this, and and how we can see sound, and it's all. Um, subtle, but when cymatics can show us in, in, in a physical form, these, these sort of these mandalas that sound creates. And I think that that's maybe the idea of as it is decaying, it's just like that, the, the, the exquisite intricacy and the beauty of the shape of sound, it just, it, it creates a kind of a a numinous place, you know, it, it draws us into what is clearly beyond our own limitations of, of, uh, how we perceive the world. Um, I was going to ask Sylvia about, in terms of sound healing, you know, a lot of people would think of, of being, engaging as a listener, right? We're talking about sound baths. And, and so as a sort of, as a, a listener of the experience, but what about as the, the practitioner? And specifically, I wanted to get to the idea of sound healing, but also doing and especially through the voice being the most intimate part of us which which creates sound and this goes right into your speciality of what you've spent your life doing but i would love to hear about how you've cultivated not yoga deep listening um and the voice as a way of 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 sort of musically or sonically you know um healing and not, not not only healing others but healing i'm sure yourself and and you know participating in yoga in that way well i i you know i'm basically uh start music as a as a as a, uh, as a poet <laughs> i mean i i always have a poetry write poetry and then uh i had i start went to conservatories to learn how to play the piano and to learn the music theory so basically my fingers were playing the piano and then um and then guitars and all kind of instruments uh but then uh the voice was always there you know um i would say the the voice was the the organizing principle 
of all the things I was hearing and especially the things I was listening. So then, uh, but I never really uh, brought too much. I was not so interested in being a, a singer. Very, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see myself as a singer. Um, in India, they, 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 they men, they have these uh, titles that are a little different from us. Vocal culturist, you know. I feel a little bit more like that, like a vocal culturist, because I, I mean, I sing bossa nova, and I, I love it. You know, I sing bossa nova. I sing all the songs of Caetano Veloso, I sing my own music, you know. But the point is that every sound, the voice allows you to, and this is why I had to write books about it, you can shift your voice and become someone else. You can make vocal characters and feel completely liberated. So what I do mostly with people is to change the frequency of their own Spot, you know, I would say the, the voice that they think is my voice or is their voice. And I keep changing frequencies of the voice, asking for different characters, different cultures of sound, until the person finds a sound that is very liberating, that is not necessarily the sound of a singer. So we play with the voice as an instrument. That's what I'm trying to say. So the voice is an instrument and the most versatile, the most abundant, the most possible instrument. Now, if we, if the, at the same time, is the most delicate because it's in the body, physically. If I have any, any concern or any pain, the voice is going to feel it first. So there is a materiality of the voice, but it's also, there is a metaphor. The voice can do and can be anything. Whatever I say about my voice or your voice is a fantasy because I don't see my voice. So I can project anything I want to. So I like to, to play with my students and myself and, and, and bring different characters to the voice. But always you need to be in tune first, right? <laughs> so the drone is the throne. I call it the throne of the voice. <laughs> and then the voice becomes a mirror, like the mind. We can put anything there that is not there. We can put any images. We can put colors. We can put jazz or, or ballads or, or arias or ragas or Icaros, which uh, I'm singing a lot of Icaros lately, whatever medicine melody you want to put. And every, every vocal culture, every vocal art will have a different frequency. But the frequency will not just be the sound that you render, but the, the movement, the whole body of the voice will shift. And then our dear late friend, uh, uh, divine friend, uh, Steve Goodman, he used to talk about the, the frequency of enjoyment. You know, he used to talk about the frequency of enjoyment. And, and that's staying with me forever. You know, uh, when I work with someone that I feel like is touching a place or myself that is difficult, you know, the voice is not coming. 
Uh, I try to think of, the, I try to change the channel and do the voice of the monk. You know, the monotonal voice or, 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 or the voice of the, you know, the, in the 1100s, the voice of uh, the, the monastic women hidden in places because they were afraid of men. Remember Hildegard von Dinhen? You know, another frequency. So I think what, what, I, what I am talking is when we the, the, take the personality from the voice, despersonalize the voice in a particular circumstance, the voice can liberate the whole self. And that might be healing. Ah, so beautiful. On the spot. <laughs> it, right, yeah. It's it, it reminds me of uh of almost like the voice as a as a controller or as a as a way of entering into personas. I mean, using personas as a way to to break out of maybe some of the, the ways in which we can get stuck psychologically in in certain certain um, habitual cycles and it's that's really that's really beautiful. I think I can resonate with that as an improviser working with some sort of freer improv groups. And it's like I, I got into sort of conceptually coming up with a theme, you know, let, let's let's improvise as trees. We're not humans. We're we're going to take the, the persona of the trees and the music that would come would be completely unpredictable. Is because it's not from the mind, and and a lot of the times we're getting beyond the mind that we we need the mind, we need the ego to help us practice, to help us memory. give us structures, memory, sure, sure. But it seems the, the idea of personas that's that's really really powerful. Yeah, I find myself telling my students all the time. Uh, okay, now I, I, maybe let, let let's change our voice. Let's change that voice. So last Friday. And every Friday, which is a divine intervention from this COVID cap captivity that we are, I am having, I'm starting with my Guruji from India, one-on-one. -on -one. And we are doing, I'm continuing with this, you know, Guru, Shisha, Parampara system. <laughs> and we spend one hour and 15 minutes doing one sound with Udai. Pandit Uday Ji, uh, Bahawalkar, this this <laughs> sound of no, ah, no, 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 I have to be shorter. Seventy-five percent of no, twenty percent of um, one percent of of now. You know. The whole hour we were just doing, and without the hand, we will I will not learn. We we cannot do it. So it's all with the hands. We are playing the voice because the music is in the air. Mm -hmm. 
And where, where did I learn that? I learned it in the Yoruba tradition. I grew up in Brazil, in the north of Brazil, Yoruba tradition. They keep saying, the music is in the air, let's play it. And wow. then uh, when we do the shapes and in, in the, of, of the sounds in Nar yoga, you know, we are, we are shaping the sound like this, and the mmm, and the na. Okay, okay. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, you know, sometimes I say, well, why, why I'm studying something that is so difficult? I think the answer is clear to us and you, or to me anyway, after this beautiful conversation. <laughs> um, I guess we've been talking for almost an hour and, um, at the end of our podcast, we generally like to kind of give the listeners places to go or things to look out for. Um, and so up in front of me here, I have your most recent album, Liminal. Can you tell us a little bit about this album and how you've you integrated the various personas that you, you know, that you have been cultivating the different kinds of traditions that we've talked about today, uh, which is extremely diverse. I mean, your background and your, your, your life in music is, I mean, unbelievable and so inspiring. And you have, like you said, you've, you've sort of been around and, and surrounded yourself with such um, brilliant thinkers and, and musicians. And it's, so how does, how does this music um, well, integrate all these things? Well, you too. I mean, I hear to your, I hear your music and I'm completely amazed the way that you have integrated Western instruments with that, and you got the sound, right? The whole point is when we, uh, among musicians, we always talk, did you get the sound, right? right yeah. We always talk about the sound. And uh, it's, the, so the sound comes, uh, it's, it's kind of the cosmic uh, vib vibratory aspect of music. And then comes the music, which is, uh, the, is something impermanent. Uh, but uh, I basically uh, have more than 16 or 17 albums released uh, and they were always with different companies, record companies. Uh, one got us a, a magical Grammy nomination without, we, I don't know who sent it because I didn't know how, that you can send a, an album <laughs> to the Grammys. <laughs> So it was an incredible, I started screaming because I couldn't believe that that was happening. Then um, somebody from the Academy of Music sent it. But anyway, uh, I think that Liminal was, uh, uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a album, it's the first album that I uh, produced myself with a friend, Tom, Todd, Todd Boston. And I wanted to, for the for to to be uh, uh, to be not to be the center of the music. I don't want. I wanted the voice to be part of the ambience. And um, and I I think I I succeed doing that. So because I thought that would be nice for all my friends and all the people that gets that album called Liminal, like Liminal means, you know, in between. So to be able to have the music as, as an environment and do whatever they need to do in terms of work. And the music will not interfere with that. 
on the contrary, the music will give them more a sense of being uh, more more concentrated, more more immersed in what they are doing. So, uh, <laughs> so it's kind of the opposite of the, the regular music that is so powerful that you you just only can can listen to it. But this this music is it, it wanted. I wanted to make music for the space, and I always always my music has a quality of ambience, ambient music. And then um, the voice is there, but I change the voice in every piece of music that I write. I, I like to play with the voice as an instrument, as I say before. And then I always think about uh, what I call musical al alchemy, you know, how, how this music can transform uh, the space of whatever the listener is you know, the alchemical quality of music and how this music can obtain information from other realities. So I'm always thinking about these alternative realities that the music can connect with because the music is so so open, so has so many possibilities. So we are think I think that to complete this wonderful kind of dialogue that we have, I think, Music consciousness, meaning attention, awareness, music consciousness, and uh, and and then the aspect of spirituality comes when we believe that we believe that we bring this this this. For me, that the the believing is an energy that we bring to things that we feel that they are very beneficial that are good for people. So basically, spirituality is what we are doing now, is, is interacting with each other uh, uh, to, to enjoy. Right, there's, there's a, a good, there's a faith in the fact that this is, this is good for us. This is bringing, <laughs> this is bringing positive benefits. Yeah. And and there's no top down, which is the problem that, that we are having now in the we are bringing politics now. But, you know, we are not everybody is the same equanimity. So Meta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, uh, loving kindness, uh, compassion, uh, kind of consider the, the 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 new the newness of enjoyment and uh, equanimity. So those those the principles of of what I call healing. <laughs> no, there, there's no one is telling me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, last question from me is: What are you, uh, if anything, right? Like actively, but what are you working on? What is there any albums that you have coming up, or are you? Are you, um, what, um, what part in the artistic process are you for something new? Uh, well, uh, I've been, uh, I've been writing a lot of words and, um, there is a record company that is asking me to create, uh, music for spoken word. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting together with, uh, for, you know, now I can get together, get together with someone. 
I'm getting together with one of the musicians that we make an album and uh, this week, and we are going to start preparing music that would be kind of more ambient. And at the same time, I start putting my voice with drones and trying to see if I can uh, record uh, a raga, you know, again. Uh, that requires t for me to have a studio, and uh, I am in that way. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, today I started with Bayrab again. Uh, I was telling you that, and um, I have uh, a raga that I would like to record, which is the raga of my teacher, uh, Chandrananda. So one part of me wants to record the voice in the form of raga music, and another part of me likes to keep doing ambient music because when I wake up in the morning, I do my practice and then uh, I love to have music that has just a space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's more or less, um, I've been writing uh, uh, for a, um, for a uh, book that we are, a group of people or we are all writing uh, a book uh, to honor Ralph Metzner, and uh, that I enjoy a lot. I wrote a poem, a long poem. <laughs> so, and what you guys are doing? I mean, I'm finishing my PhD coursework this semester, mm -hmm. and I'll be moving back to Toronto, actually, where I'm from, and I'll be writing and, and studying and, and just actually getting back into playing more music, which is my main discipline really. But for the last three years, I've been doing a lot of reading and study, studying. Music has gone through, it has to for me, but it's, uh, the studies are very intense. So I'm gonna find, a, gonna be able to hopefully reposition things and rebalance things. We all need to find balance in our lives, right? Yes. So. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just here to make sure that Jonathan finishes his dissertation. <laughs> what a beautiful, what a beautiful uh, friendship. <laughs> You're holding the space. Yeah, I couldn't do it without Stefan. <laughs> How beautiful. That makes me very happy. You know, CIIS is filled with wonderful people. You guys have a wonderful chair as well. And, and uh, you know, I, I always think the lineage is, is, is there, you know, it's holding the space. Um, and um, I've been in Oroville many, many, many times. Uh, it's, it's my home. I, I talk to people in Auroville almost every week. I have a pet theory that uh, the mother calls her own to the school. She's mm -hmm. kind of the gatekeeper there. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, you are there and you feel like, uh, you know, I, I used to have spend there more time there in a bicycle going very early in the morning. They will let me go to the chamber in the morning before the people come. I, I was, I was, I pass out. I mean, I was like, I was not there. And that's where we are talking. You know, there's a place where, where we can uh, do whatever we really want to do. But at the same time, we, we are super present, but we are not there. And that is the liminal place. <laughs> Great. Well, I think we can end here. Beautiful. Back to Om. We're finishing in India. We start with Om and we finish with Om. This is perfect. Finish with a big Om, the new, the new, the new way of Om, which is with the with the hands, you know, slowly closing. 
up na <laughs> the fire <laughs> thank you so much it was so yeah, nice thank you you're so beautiful Sylvia Hey.